Hey guys, welcome to episode number 21 of the Mimi B Magazine podcast. I'm your host, Mimi Bouchard, and you're listening to the Mimi B Magazine podcast, a lifestyle podcast all on health, relationships, sex, career, and self-development. This podcast is designed to entertain, inspire, and to motivate you to become the best version of yourself possible. Thank you so much for tuning in. Hey everyone, I am so excited to have Chen Lizra on my show today. She's an aspirational speaker and author. She's done an amazing TED Talk all about the power of seduction, and it got over 8.5 million views on YouTube. She specializes in helping people transform their lives by using the power of somatic intelligence. Hello, Chen. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thank you for having me today. Thank you so much for coming on. I have so many young girls listening to my podcast and following my content, and my goal is to basically help everyone listening to become the best version of themselves possible. That's my whole mission. And you obviously have done so much with your career, especially, and you know you help so many different people in your life coach. I would love to talk to you about how you became the truest version of yourself and your story. Ooh, that's a big one. I'm going to make it short, though. So okay. <laughs> not to go through the whole story, but I'm, I'm just going to give kind of like the little summary of it. So my mom got mentally sick, manic, manic depressive, bipolar when I, was, when I was 11 years old. And um, I truly crashed from that because mom-daughter connection is such an important thing. You know, I, I hear a lot of times my friends talk about how they come to their moms or they tell them what they did or they come just for comfort or they had a bad day and their mom just, you know, they got kind of gone for the hug. And imagine not having that from the age of 11. <clears throat> not only that, but when you grow up around a manic depressive person, depending on how sick they are, um, they don't have control of certain things. So trust was a big issue for me and boundaries were unhealthy and a lot of things that should come and be very common. So I kind of, you know, and I want to say that what was, I think, heartbreaking in all of this was that my mom was really my role model. She was an incredible mom and she was teaching me such amazing lessons about life that in that sense, losing her to her illness was like almost like a double tra tragedy, right? Because, mm -hmm. because it wasn't like a person that you said, okay, it was a bad person. I didn't like her, but I loved her. And then one day I felt like she wasn't there and that kind of sent me on a, on a downward spiral. And I started having a, at a very young age, suicidal thoughts because I couldn't live with my reality and I couldn't get out of my reality. And, and, um, and the, the even crazier thing about it was I was hiding what I was really showing because I got hurt so much. Like I was outcast in school, like people were making fun of me and, and I just suffered so much rejection and as, as it was, I was in such a tough situation. And, and then on top of that, I suffered so much rejection that I kind of locked up and I started pretending on the outside like everything was great, showing a smile and I had great grades. And it looked like our life was perfect on the outside. But inside, I was really falling apart. So this kind of led on a whole life journey where I, at one point I had to make a decision because I hit rock bottom. I couldn't continue with that. I was living in such a lie and I was so depressed inside and I was pretending on the outside like it was okay. And my dad didn't know anything that was going on. For example, he found out years later that what was going on. And I, 
I, I kind of hit rock bottom and I had to make a choice because I couldn't live anymore like this. It was really live or die. That was the only thing that was left. And I sat with myself and I sat with myself and I looked for answers inside. And, and I asked myself, do you want to live or die? Like, what do you really want? Because it's impossible to live like this. And I just waited. And when the answer came, I just, there was this passion about me where I felt like I haven't done this and I haven't done this and I haven't done this. Like, like there are all these things I want to do in life. And I realized that like, just because there's a, a, a challenge, like just because something is really, even if when it's that bad, it's like, it's not over yet. It's like, I can turn this around. So I kind of embarked on a journey where I said, I'm not giving up till I find a way out of this, till I find a solution. And that intention was like set in stone. So then that kind of led to a, a 10 year process of searching and searching and searching. And no one had all the answers for me because looking back, everything was broken. So you had to work on so many different things to get to a good place. So it, it honestly, it's like in this whole journey of finding myself, I had to reclaim all the parts back. Some of them are conscious and I, I found them and took them back. And some of them, or I'm conscious and I'm still working on them <laughs> you know, to the point that I'm going way beyond what I ever expected that was possible. I'm like, wait, there's more possible. I'm not stopping here. I keep going. <laughs> you know, So yeah. like every part of the journey taught me something really important. So when I lived in Japan and studied Zen Buddhism, I started to learn how to trust my inner voice and to do what was right for me in meditation, you know, stepping away from what society expected of me to do. And that was a big one, you know, just trusting my voice and going like, okay, this feels like it's going to make me happy. Everybody thinks I'm crazy. I'm going to do this. Let me try this and see what would happen. And then it was like, wow, I'm so much better. Okay. So they're not right. I'm right. And then it's, you know, I, I want to say that courage is not something you're born with. It's something that you earn over time through small deeds. And mm -hmm. you start small and with time you take more chances and more risks and you dare more. And it's just a process. You have to take just a first step you know, towards what you think and then try small. And then when you feel better and a little bit more confident, a little bit bigger, you know, so in Canada, for example, I learned how to really be me, even if the culture thought that I was wrong, quote unquote, because I was living in a culture that was very politically correct and I was expected to behave a certain way. And I'm very direct and I say what I think and it wasn't the norm and people wanted me to change and behave differently. And I was like, but that's who I am. And it was very tough living in a culture where, who I am in, in the, the opinion of the culture was wrong, but I've learned how to be even more me because it's okay to be different. I don't have to be like everybody else. And I've learned also how to be inside of a system where the system thinks I'm wrong and still be okay and feel good, not agree and still be okay inside the system. And that's a whole other lesson in itself, you know, and in Cuba, for example, I've learned how to take opportunities to experience something that's different than the way I grew up something that I didn't know what it would feel like being that way and whether it would feel right to me or not. And by that, really daring going into parts of myself that I feared going into. Because sometimes we're afraid of going somewhere because we don't know what we're going to find there. But when we go in, we actually just find a little piece of ourselves. And it's not that scary once you get there, but the fear of going there is bigger than the experience itself. So it's really a journey of discovery, of, of personal development, of, of allow, allowing myself to be who I am, of allowing myself also to make mistakes, of allowing myself to experience, of not judging myself for the things that are not perfect about me. 
That's incredible. So you went through an epiphany and you're just like, I don't want to live this way anymore. I want to start living my truest self. I'm going to go study, um, you know, meditation. And was it Zen Buddhism? Is that what you said? Yeah. In Japan, I studied Zen Buddhism. It it wasn't, it, it was just, I was basically, I didn't really understand what I was looking for. I just knew that I was looking for answers. And then I started listening to the voice inside me that said, what next? And then just just doing it and then seeing what comes up and then feeling again what feels right now. And then going to the next one, you don't always understand in that moment what it all means or why you're doing what you're doing. But in the gut feeling, when you know it's right, it's normally right. Yeah, absolutely. And I think meditation as well is so great to find that inner voice and, and let that shine out more. I know for me personally, I do a little meditation every morning and it changes my day. And it really just, it's great for reflection and it brings out my truest version for sure. And it makes makes the fears fade away. It calms down the fears, the nerves. Absolutely. It does for sure. It gives you, you know, belief in yourself. Exactly. And so your whole thing is somatic intelligence. That is such a, a cool term. I, I want to know your take on what it means and, you know, for the listeners as well. Um, I had to search it up when I first heard it. I didn't know what it meant. Um, is there an easy way to explain what somatic intelligence is? Yes. <laughs> so <laughs> somatic intelligence is a really good question because a lot of people don't know what it is because it's not a very common term that people use. So somatic intelligence is basically emotional intelligence taught through the body, through experiencing. So we are all born somatic, right? As babies, how do we communicate? We cry, we laugh, we mumble, we, right? Like everything is somatic. We don't speak. We experience, we feel, and we communicate through the body, through sensations. So we're all born somatic. And then we, a lot of the times, lose contact with the body. We disconnect from our primary home, our body where we learn how to love, trust, and act. So somatic intelligence is really about creating emotional intelligence and self-awareness that allow us to change our behavioral patterns for the better. And when we feel something through the body, we understand it a lot faster than if somebody tells us something and we think about it, right? Like I can describe to you what it's like to fall in love, but if you never felt that sensation in your body, you don't really get it. I can tell I can tell a child not to touch the fire and I say that's going to hurt that's dangerous and until they touch and they feel it they don't get what dangerous means what hurt means right so we understand faster through feeling through the body than through hearing about something so when you experience something through the body you immediately know if it's right for you or not if it feels what it feels like and from there your emotional intelligence kicks in through the body Makes so much sense. So it's like if you have a gut feeling about something, you know, that connection is there. Does that have anything to do with it? Or, you know, if you stand up taller and you instantly feel more confident, is that a way to kind of use your body to change your your emotion? Like, or is this, am I wrong on this? The first one, no. The, the second one, yes. So when you're using your body, when you're stretching it up like that, and you start to feel more confidence, you're actually changing the chemistry in the body because it's a power pose. So you really are using your somatic intelligence, and by and you start to feel the change, the difference, and you know it's working. When you're talking about gut feeling, sometimes our gut feelings are not our gut feelings, and we're confusing them with our fears. 
So we have to learn how to distinguish between what is intuition, what feels to us right, and what we're actually afraid of because of things that happened to us in the past that are triggering us where we get scared of something and we go like, no, 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 this doesn't feel right. Got it. So what are some of the main somatic intelligence tools that you maybe uh, tell your clients to practice to get their confidence levels up and just become more them? Well, I use the five elements of somatic intelligence. So the five elements are elegance, intention, tempo, sabrosura, and mystery. And each one of them has a benefit. So elegance is the element of confidence, self-worth, and pride. Intention is for meaning, drive, and purpose. Um, Tempo is about enjoyment. Sabrosura is about love. And mystery is about our playfulness, is that when you want to play, when you want to, and it can be sexual or non-sexual. So there are many different tools that I use within each one of them. I basically look to see what the cognitive issue is. I look to see how to, how to connect it to the somatic, what somatic element would touch on that so that when I work with you through the body would give you a breakthrough in your, in your cognitive and how you're living. And then I start to work with you physically to change how you're experiencing. Once I give you a new experience, we talk about it to get, to gain insights. And then you start to see what is possible for you. They didn't see before a new possibility. That's so cool. And you do workshops, don't you? Yes, I'm doing one-on-one coaching, but I also do retreats. So the retreats are in different places in the world. Eventually, there will be five. Right now, there are two running. The power of the Sabrasura in Havana is for women that want to reclaim their femininity. And they can come and work for, um, like, it's an eight-day trip, but it's six days. Really intense program, beautiful program where we work through the body teaching you how to connect both your power and your softness together to a whole new experience of yourself. And the power of enjoyment that's running right now is in Marrakesh. And this is about work-life balance. It's about learning how to, on one hand, you're going, um, you've got your mindset of super positivity, how to see the gifts in every challenge that we get and turn it into inspiration. And at the same time, we're looking at, how do we move the body in a way that releases dopamine and endorphin in the body and, and causes um, a natural high? Plus, we add in there a component of adventures. So adventure, adventurous courage is about throwing yourself into the unknown, creating an adventure of what is coming towards you. So every retreat is basically in a place where the culture embodies the experience that we want you to have, what, what we want to teach you. So the big part of it is being in a place where you see them living it. And then you get into that. And we have a lot of street activities as well, not just studying, you know, in the location where we're doing it. And that enhances the learning. It creates a shift because you dare suddenly do something that you wouldn't necessarily do in your own culture. You have a new experience. By the end of the retreat, you can decide if you want to keep it or not and how much of it after you dared be in a whole other experience. That's so interesting. That is so cool. I've done like the Tony Robbins seminars before. I've never done anything like this, but it seems so crazy. And, and you have to come. Awesome. <laughs> I need to come <laughs> one day. I'm going to come. <laughs> I will be Not only that, you can organize like a whole thing of just your tribe. We'll do one. Oh, no way. We'll do it if you come. Like it's basically 20 women. If you want to organize 20 women, we'll do it. We'll do it just yours. That's amazing. That yeah. is so cool. That's an awesome idea. And that's crazy how you've, you've really like built this business for yourself. Like you're doing all these different, you know, retreats. You um, obviously have like a really successful public speaking um, business and you have your life coaching company. 
how, like, where does your drive come from? Have you always been this way or was it just underlying and it just like blew up? Like, how have you done all of this? I think that I've always felt like I had the ability to do something special that that was always with me, but I felt kind of buried under the circumstances. And, and I think that, um, like my drive is wanting to make the world a better place to show people that we can have a different status quo. Because when you start to live what I'm showing, then people go like, well, I can't go back to, to the way I lived before. There are women that came out of the retreat in July and they said to me, like, I can't go back now to the way I lived before. So the whole thing is about changing the status quo. But I think that when you overcome, you know, 10 years of suicidal thoughts and you don't give up and you go like, I'm not going to give up till I find the way, then you learn perseverance. And it's like holding, like the power of somatic intelligence came out of an intention that I started 15 years ago. And it's an intention that I haven't let go where I was like, I have a binder that I created 15 years ago and I was looking for what I wanted to do. I left the career that I was in animation. I was doing character animation, animating characters for TV shows. And I wanted to make a difference. And I have a binder that I searched for a year of what I wanted to do. It's called Getting the Life You Want. I still have it. Mm -hmm. And I was writing Uh all all these things that I wanted to do that I thought that would be interesting for me to do, not even knowing what I'm going to do. And half of it is what I'm doing now. And it's interesting to see that I wrote, I want to be an inspirational speaker and I want to write a best-selling book done. I want to create workshops that would be body and mind and would make a difference for people around the world. And it's like all these things that I wrote at the time that were just sitting inside and they became a reality. And I think that I held that intention so strong that it became real. And it was like, I couldn't give that up because I knew that this is my calling. This is this is my purpose in life. This is why I've done this whole journey and gained so many crazy tools. I've searched everywhere for answers and I'm still searching. I'm trying so many new methods and then I'm integrating them because it became a life, a lifestyle. So then this yeah. is my, my way of kind of sharing that. So I think that really the drive came out of like wanting to give this to people now is that I didn't stop when I got to a good place. I was like, there was a feeling in me that was, well, now that I'm in a good place, it's not good enough. It's like you don't go through such a journey and you just go like, okay, life is okay. No, I wanted fantastic. I wanted amazing. I wanted incredible. <laughs> so I didn't, I didn't stop. I kept going. And then I found more information that led to amazing. And at one point I just felt like I need to share this knowledge. You know, I went through this long process and no one had answers for me because no one knew how to resolve these things. And, you know, in workshops, people come and do the program together and they understand what is the program and they take what they want because there are so many different t- things that you can take from the programs. It's designed in such a way. It's not one thing. Every person comes out with something different. But when you're working with me one-on-one, I have all sorts of clients that come in and, and you go like, wow, you know, like people have breakthroughs that they never had before and, and you're just going, like I hear them sometimes say, you know, I've been in therapy for years and I don't know how to resolve this. And then we start a process and you see them transform within 10 sessions already into a whole new powerful place where they, Oh my God. I'm not saying everything gets resolved in 10 sessions, but you really see, they know right away if it's working or not, because they start to see the results in their lives because I'm able to explain to them and show them tools of how to move things inside that no one understands unless they've been there. That's crazy. That is so cool. Mm -hmm. So my next few questions are kind of on the same topic. What kind of advice would you give to a young woman who has drive and ambition, 
but just doesn't know what she wants to do with her life yet. She's confused and she's, you know, tried writing down, brainstorming. She just can't figure it out. That's a really good question. I think it kind of falls in, in my opinion, into two parts. The first one is to decide that she will find it. Because once we decide, this is the intention I talked about before, it's already there. Let's start with that. You're born with a purpose inside you. So it's not like, I don't know, I don't know, like, what if I never find it? It's inside you. So all you have to do, first of all, is to decide that you will find it and then not give up. Because what we do is we start to look for it and then we don't understand what it is. And then we go like, it's, it, I don't know if I'll ever find it. But it's there. If you lost keys at the house and, and you didn't find them, what would you do? You would search till you will find the keys, right? You don't give up on finding them because you know they're there. You don't go like, oh, maybe there were never keys. Yeah, right? great analogy. That makes so much sense. So, so if you decide that you will find it, you will find it. It's the doubt that you have that it's even there that makes you not find it. That's powerful. So that's the, that's, awesome. that's the first part. The second part is to believe that you can have what you want. So one of the problems is that for whatever reason, it's the way we grew up. It's the experience that we had, like rejection or you know, or, or fear of failure, or we were told for many years that we weren't good enough or whatever it is that was there in the background that came from our childhood or what we went through or whatever crisis or, or even just challenge. It doesn't need to be a trauma. It can be small, but it meant so much to us. Makes us many times believe that we can't have what we want. But when we believe that we can have what we want, we start to have what we want. And it sounds like, okay, but how do I do this? It sounds Really, it's that simple. You just start to believe. You know, my mom was manic. And when she was manic, she believed that she could have anything that she wanted. And it's known that many people believe. And because of that, they get what they want. They start to manifest. So whenever she wanted something, she could manifest that she once wanted to make a million and she made a million. The problem was that because she was manic depressive and the depressive part, she would destroy everything. And that cycle made her create incredible stuff and then destroy. And it's so hard for manic depressive people who are very sick to live with that because they destroy their own brilliance. So when I grew up, I grew up around a person that manifested all the time. So I've learned that all I needed to do was to believe, but I've also learned the bad cycle of destroying it. So at the beginning, part of the, the, you know, the depression that I had and the suicidal thoughts was that anything that I created, I would destroy so it took time to teach myself not to destroy what I was creating and then to just allow the believing. And now when people ask me, well, how do you do these crazy things? It's because I believe that I can. And I don't need yeah. a proof that I can. This is another thing people tell me, well, what proof do you have? Well, what proof do you have that you were bad, that you were not good enough, that you never had a proof? It's just someone said it to you and you believed it. Yeah. So why not believe? It's all about the law of attraction, right? Like, So you have, you have the right to believe also that you can. You don't need any proof. You just play with it. So what would happen if you let go of those fears for an hour and believed anything that you wanted in that sense and put the fear aside, just do a little test and then come back to whatever you had before. It's fine. It's waiting there. Just do a little test and see what happens when you really believe and you stop the fears. You don't listen to them. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. And yeah, like it's all, it's all law of attraction. The first step to getting anywhere is believing that you can, you can do it. If you don't believe in yourself, you're not going to get anywhere. Exactly. Exactly. So you have to believe not just in yourself, but that you can have what you want. Because one of the things that scares a lot of people is when they start to touch what they want. 
So they, they dream and they dream and they dream. And then when they start to receive what they want, it's sometimes hard to contain it. So then you have to expand the capacity of goodness in your life. And when you start to expand that, there's room for more. Because if not, your sabotager comes in and starts destroying it. Mm-hmm. Wow. So another question for you. What kind of advice would you have for someone who's terrified to openly be their true authentic selves? And how can someone break out of inauthentic patterns? It's pretty hard, isn't it? Well, I think that when you break it down into a process, it becomes easier. So first of all, you have to look at the price of what you're paying for this inauthenticity. So look at the quality of your connection to yourself. Look at the to others. You know, how does it leave you feeling? Most of the time it fills you with really bad feelings. So you're paying a really high price. Now, this is just one aspect of it, because when we look at the price, sometimes we see the price and we still don't know what to do with it. We still don't know how to act. So the next thing is to look at the fear that sits underneath it, why you're being inauthentic, why you're hiding. Are you afraid of rejection? Are you afraid of failing? Are you afraid of not being loved? Are you afraid? Like, what is the fear? There's a fear underneath that. You're not doing this and hurting yourself because you're feeling bad about being inauthentic. You're not doing it for nothing. You're doing it because you're afraid of something. Once you identify the cause of the fear, the root cause of it, not the symptom, symptom is what you're not doing, but the root cause of it, then you want to look at what caused it. So what happened to you? What happened with your parents, with your family, growing up in school with teachers? What happened that caused that fear to come up? And then you have to work on teaching your body a new way of being that will show it that when you're doing something different, you're safe and you're fine. It doesn't have to be because these are patterns that are created at a young age where we repeat them because we created them as a defense mechanism, but they're ineffective now as adults and they stop us from what we want. So we have to kind of diffuse the core of them and show the body that there's a whole other way that we can live and we will still be safe and fine. And that we also don't need to always, you know, get the approval of other people, whatever it is that we're looking for to feel loved. So it's a deeper, much deeper process of, of dealing with the root cause of it and then the symptoms that disappear rather than trying to deal with the symptoms on the outside. Yeah, that makes so much sense. So just doing a lot of self-reflection and realizing that the pain of not changing is worse than the pain of changing. Well, sometimes it's not something that you can do on your own. Sometimes you need help to do it. Sometimes you can do it on your own. It depends on what is sitting there. Sometimes we're afraid to look and see the truth living inside of the story of what we want to tell people rather than what is really going on. And um, as a life coach, what are some of the most powerful transformations that you've witnessed? There are so many of them. Um, I think this is the gift of doing what I do is seeing so many people transform all the time. But to give you a couple of examples, for example, I have a client and when she came to me, she was um, she just finished dealing with anorexia. Like she dealt with it in an institution for anorexia. <clears throat> she had no confidence. She was a victim of her past and she had a pretty difficult traumatic past. She was addicted to alcohol, drugs, and sex. No job. She wasn't in a relationship and she was attracted to all the wrong guys. That was the starting point. Mm-hmm. After a long process together, she just moved in with her boyfriend. She has no problem holding a job. All the addictions are gone. And she now feels completely in control uh, back in her life and is working on her life purpose. Wow. And how long can that take? It really depends from person to person. She's been with me, I think, for two years. Her process 
um, I had to go really deep to a lot of places and to teach her a lot of different skills of how to take back the responsibility into her life and build her self-worth and and how to deal with putting boundaries where she needed to. So it was uh, the process that she needed at the pace that she needed. There's no way to define the length of a process. Some people come and they do it quick. Some take longer. It depends on how deep the issue is. It depends on how your body reacts. You can't force a process. You have to give the body the pace that it needs. And it dictates the pace, not us. So really it changes. It varies from person to person. I have someone who came to work with me and, when she walked into my studio the first day, she was very masculine. She injected, um, you know, stuff into her face to look younger and the guy dumped her and she felt like she wasn't worthy. It was because of the way she was treated by her mom at a very young age. And she didn't have self-love or self-worth. And she was just craving for love and very needy. And we worked now for about a year. She was both in one-on-one coaching and then in, she did the, you know, the retreat and stuff like that. And she's, it's amazing to see her now because she's got full self-worth. She knows what she, she was like. I can't go back to the way I lived before. Now guys are chasing her. And um, I mean, there are many different stories. I'm giving you the more extreme ones. You see the results when we're coming. Mm-hmm. But there are also people who come with things that are softer, not as extreme. And they're looking to get more accurate and more specific to something. So there are many different transformations that take place. And it's really amazing to see how the, the method is working so powerfully because you see the results. Yeah, it's incredible. Absolutely incredible. I need to read your book because I want to learn more about all of this. And you... Um, the book is actually not about... I haven't written a book yet about the parasomatic intelligence. It's in the long run there. The the first book that I wrote that became a bestseller is My Seductive Cuba. And it's like Eat, Pray, Love meets Lonely Planet for Traveling in Cuba. The next one is, oh, okay. is going to be about parasomatic <laughs> intelligence. But you can take the online classes. So on the site, there's a link to the online classes for women. And you can start by trying those classes. Amazing. That's, that's incredible. And you talk a lot about femininity and seduction. What do you think, like from coaching all of these women, what do you think the biggest challenges for all of them when they want to reclaim their femininity or become more sensual or seductive? I find that the hardest thing for women today in, in this specific time is to understand how to combine their power with their softness. It's either or like we've 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 had so many decades of women fighting for liberation and freedom and femininity and, and competing in the business world and, you know, leading their their lives, going from being passive at home and just containing to leading their lives. And one of the hardest things for women now is to have that power, but still be soft and feminine. And I think one of the other things that's really that, that I find is very hard for a lot of women is to um, show their vulnerable side. Mm-hmm. You know, women driving things forward is not the problem anymore. It's how do I show my vulnerability? There's nothing sexier than a woman being exposed emotionally and showing that she wants, for example, something in a feminine way without going like uh, staying tough and kind of hiding that. And, you know, that's a lot harder for women to do these days is to kind of like surrender yourself in a feminine way, not surrender your power. Surrender in a sense of just showing the other side of you that is what is so attractive for a man when he sees you is to see the soft side of you, the, the part that allows you to say, well, I, I would love for you to protect me. And protecting me doesn't mean that I'm giving up my power and I'm, now I'm a victim of your power. Mm-hmm. It's to enjoy that. It's like you, 
you're confident in your vulnerability. At the same time, that's exactly what I'm saying. I can be super powerful and I can lead my life forward and I can do amazing things. At the same time, it's really nice that you want to protect me. It's a nice feeling. It's like coming back home to you. Absolutely. I feel like that's how my boyfriend and I are. <laughs> He's super masculine and I'm I'm quite feminine, but in my career, I feel like I'm quite masculine and I give him that role when I come home. I'm just like, okay, you can be my, you know, my masculine man, but I'm also powerful. So don't forget that. <laughs> exactly. But when you give him that place to be, besides the fact that he can step up as a man, where a lot of women want that because they want their men to be sexy, it also gives you time to just relax for a minute and not have to lead all the time and feel like, oh my God, it's so nice. I can just soften up. And that's part of your femininity. So, you know, people are so afraid of these roles of male and feminine and masculine. And, but in reality, there's something also really comforting in it. And we, if we just find the right balance. Absolutely. And do you think like men and women can both switch back and forth from masculine to feminine often? Because I feel like Ben, my boyfriend, you know, when I feel like I need to be you know, very vulnerable. He is the the manly protector and he comforts me. And when he's upset about something, I kind of take that role. Is that odd or is that very normal? We all have male and feminine, feminine qualities in us. And if you think about it, one of the sexiest things for a woman is when you see the man uh, in his feminine energy when he's being suddenly a little softer or caressing or, you know, and it, when he doesn't take away and he doesn't take away from his masculinity. Right. So we all have it. It's just a matter of striking the right balance. When we feel that a man is too masculine, it doesn't have enough of the feminine, that softness. We feel he's aggressive. The same for a woman. If we feel that she's super powerful, but she can never get to that soft side, we say she's very aggressive. Right. So it's about striking a balance. We both have male and female qualities. Yeah, and your, and your boyfriend cool. sounds like like um, like a real a real treasure and like a keeper. <laughs> oh, he's a keeper. He's a total keeper. You know, I I don't I don't know if you believe in this kind of stuff, but I've been to a bunch of psychics in the past year ever since I started dating him, and every single one I've gone to have told me your boyfriend. Yeah, you're marrying him. He's he's the one for you. Nice, <laughs> nice. You hear that, boyfriend? <laughs> you're supposed to propose at one point. <laughs> Oh God, I'm only, I'm only 22 years old, not yet, but later. <laughs> You're creating the intentions for the next 10 years. Yeah, my intention is he'll be mine forever. Nice. <laughs> so you talk a lot about seduction and sexuality. What do you think the difference is between seduction and sexuality? Well, seduction and sexuality are two different things, in my opinion. One, when we talk about seduction, this is, I think, where people get confused. People think seduction, so they think it's sexual. But seduction is basically at the power of attraction. We're creating desire in the other to want more. So I, I say this all the time, that you know, a movie trailer is a seduction. You watch a little trailer and you go like, oh, my God, I want to see this movie. You've just been seduced. Right. Sometimes when someone gives you just a little bit of information, they go like, well, if you do this, we'll give you that. That's seduction. Right. So we, we, we have seduction in life all the time. Like sometimes you see an ad and they don't tell you what it is, but it's super it makes you super curious. You go like and you're looking for those ads to see when they will reveal it. That's seduction. They got your curiosity going. You want more now. So seduction doesn't have to be sexual. 
It's just an attraction that we create and a desire in the other to want more of what we're offering. Whereas sexuality is about sexual energy. It's about sex and being sexy. And seduction can also be like seduction can also be sexual, in, in which case they both merge into one, but they can also be separate. We can have seduction without having any sexuality. And why is it so important to have seduction in our day-to-day life and to be seductive? Would you want to be motivated by someone telling you to do something or would you want to be seduced into it? Seduced. (laughs) Exactly. So it's a motivator, right? Like if your boyfriend comes and he wants you to take the garbage out and he tells you, can you take the garbage out? And depending on how he says that, you might want to, you might not want to, you might feel like it or not, you might feel upset by it or not, you might want to do something for him or not. But if he comes to you and he goes like, oh, baby, would you mind? And he starts seducing you into it, you might take the garbage every day out. <laughs> and I've just used sexual seduction on you with him, yes. yes, just to distinguish that bit. But when we when we seduce people into things, whether it's sexual in a relationship or non-sexual, it's a motivator. It's a way to play. And we love play. We enjoy play a lot more than if somebody's telling us, do this or do that or ordering us or even requesting. Mm-hmm. It makes life a bit more lighthearted and playful and fun, I guess. Exactly. Exactly. You so it. how can I be more seductive in my day-to-day life without seeming too promiscuous? By adding elegance. So when we're elegant, and I'm not talking about what we're wearing, I'm talking about our attitude, when we're being classy, when we've got ethics of why we're doing what we're doing, right? If I'm meeting somebody, how am I behaving? What's the intention behind it? Does it cross the ethics line or not? So if I'm doing things in a very classy way, what what am I wearing? How am I behaving? Is that something that I would be proud of to say, yes, that's a, I can be a role model to others through that. When it falls into that, then you know whether you're being promiscuous or you're being classy. Mm-hmm. So just speaking differently and holding yourself differently. Accountable. Yeah, holding yourself accountable. accountable. Also just like walking and more of a like kind of, I, I'm trying to think of how when I feel seductive and sexy and confident, the way I'm walking is totally different to when I'm I'm not, to when I'm a bit down and I'm hunched. I feel like for me, I even if I'm standing up taller, I feel like I'm more seductive and I feel like my actions are just going to be different. Exactly. Now, on top of that, put also promiscuous means that I'm doing things in a little of a sleazy way. Mm. I'm not holding myself accountable to my ethics. So now if I think about being classy and I think about who I want to be in the world and how I want to behave and what kind of impact I want to leave behind me. And then I consider what I'm wearing, how I'm holding my body, how I'm behaving, how I'm speaking, what actions do I take? Am I being loyal? Am I being, am I cheating? Am I right? Like how am I behaving? And am I wearing something that feels very slutty? Am I wearing something that feels very classy? Yeah, absolutely. Agreed. Oh, wow. It's an intention inside us basically. And the intention projects out. So once we know what the intention is inside, the outside aligns to that. Yeah. Absolutely. And what do you do to ensure that you're in this mindset every day? Like if you're feeling like you're not, if you're not feeling very sensual or seductive or confident, is there anything that you do yourself to kind of get yourself back into that mode? Well, you don't have to be every day seductive and sensual. And the thing is that you have to be who you want to be. 
in the world. And some days it will be sensual and some days it would just be, I'm just being, mm-hmm. right? You don't have to be on all the time. It's the wrong way to go. Like we cannot be on all the time. But I think that anytime that you want to be a certain way, you have to create an intention. So it's the same as you came to this interview just now and you created an intention of who you're going to be in this call. And it's not who you're going to be when you're going to get off the call because you're being a certain way because you're causing something. Mm. So you created an intention. So every time that you want to be a certain way, you create an intention and you stand behind that intention. This is why I'm saying you cannot be on all the time. Yeah, you need time to rest, I guess. And just be. We don't always want to cause. If we, we we need to flow between the different ways of being, right? Sometimes we're causing. Sometimes we're just surrendering and relaxing. Sometimes we're connecting. Like we've got different ways of being. And if we want to be more essential because we feel we just want to be in life more essential, then we just create more awareness and intention of how we want to be. And we start to practice it till we get used to being that way. Absolutely. What a powerful podcast. I am so happy that I had you on. I think this podcast will benefit so many listeners. And it's just so interesting to hear about this. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> I'm, I'm really glad. It's a beautiful, you know, line of questions that you prepare that I think is very, is, is going to touch a lot of people because they do struggle with these things. Yeah. Thank you so much. And um, I like to ask some one question at the end of some of my podcasts and I love morning routines. It's just like my thing. And I feel like when I do my morning routine, my day completely changes. So I wanted to ask you, let's say you've woken up on the wrong side of the bed one morning. What do you do that ensures you'll bounce back and have an awesome day? So I as well have a morning ritual and I start my morning every morning with meditation and gratitude and setting an intention. And I find that the day completely shifts um, when you do that because you don't just fall into the day. You decide what the day is going to look like. At the same time, I think that it's very important giving yourself a break so you can also have a bad day. Mm-hmm. And like, like It's okay to have a bad day as long as it doesn't turn into every day the bad day. Mm-hmm. But some days we we have a bad day and sometimes we just have to work through the feelings and it's important. And I still do my meditation. I still do my rituals, but they can be a bad day. And I think that also for me, it's about living on on purpose. So I wake up in the morning and I know that I'm going to make a difference in the world. And I know that I'm going to coach people and I know that I'm going to run the retreats and I know that like all these things or the interview with you or whatever it is. So that also gives me tons of vitality and positive energy where I wake up and it's harder to have a bad day because you're constantly making a difference and you give and you receive and you give and then you receive and that's sharing. Mm. That's great. That's amazing. And I love yeah. how you meditate and your gratitude um, list in the morning as well. That's so powerful. And I always tell people the easiest thing you can do to feel better about yourself, to feel like more achieved in every area of your life is to have a little ritual or routine in the morning and write down what you want, set an intention. And And to visualize. And to visualize. One of the things I do is visualize like it already happened. And when you start to realize to visualize, then you can and you can start to see it happen. Then you start to manifest. And when you cannot, then you can start to look at what is causing you to block because if you cannot see it happening in your mind like it's like a like a movie they're already in it then you're blocking and then and then that's a really good indication to look at that yeah absolutely I've done so much visualization and I I've seen it actually change my life I literally see things happening because I've prepped 
my my mind and my body for it by visualizing. It's awesome. And that's where you are, where you are now. Thank you so much. It was such a nice conversation with you today. And I'm so, so happy that we get to share this with so many people because I think it will benefit everybody, everybody that listened. Wonderful. Thank you for having me. It's been my pleasure. Oh, okay. We'll speak soon. Thanks. Bye. Bye.